Uh, it's a pleasure to bring you God's Word from Titus chapter 2. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, please do open them to Titus chapter 2. We're going to do the whole chapter uh, tonight. I've been doing uh, a Titus series very slowly in these evening uh, services, so uh, it'll be great to, to look at it again. Uh, let me pray and ask God to help us hear and apply His Word. Let's pray. Almighty God, creator of heaven and earth, we thank you for providing your word which makes us wise for salvation in Christ Jesus. Now please give us attention as we hear it and that as we listen that you may speak to us and show us how you want us to live in response to your grace. Please enable us by the power of the Holy Spirit to live godly lives and to grow in godliness. Make us more like your beloved Son, for we ask all this in his name. Amen. Uh, so if you've uh, been able to come to uh, Titus, my Titus series in the evenings, uh, you'll know that it's about how to be godly in a godless culture. That's what chapter 1 in, and 2 and 3 is all about. How to be godly in a godless culture. Chapter 1 focuses on leadership. And tonight we'll be looking about how to be godly in our families and in our workplaces and everywhere in between. So let's listen to God speak to us in Titus chapter 2. I'll read. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love and in steadfastness. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behaviour, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works in, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an enemy may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything that they may be well-pleasing, uh, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Saviour. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. This is the word of the Lord. Tonight, we'll be looking at three deadly S's. Uh, these deadly S's will get you into a lot of trouble these days. They are submission, slavery, and self-control. So I'm certainly gonna get canceled here tonight. 
You see, I call them deadly S's because if you bring them up in conversation, which, you know, caution, uh, things will go south pretty quickly. It'll get pretty hot in that conversation, heated. Uh, everyone wants to live the good life now. We all want to be spiritually healthy. Uh, but not many are willing to sacrifice. Not many are willing to, to exercise self-control in order to have the good life. We like our freedom, don't we? We like it and we don't want to submit to anyone. Uh, one of my favourite authors uh, captures where our society is at quite well. Uh, listen to this quote by Ed Welsh. He says this, quote, In Western culture, our legal right to personal freedoms tends to infiltrate our theology. Anything that sounds like restraint seems legalistic, end quote. And that's true, isn't it? We don't like rules. We don't like being told what to do. We all want to live well. We all want the good life, but we don't want to sacrifice our freedoms for it. And this is what's happening in Crete, where Titus uh, lived. Uh, people were free to act like they wanted, um, when they wanted. And it's the issue for us today in our culture. You see, back then, the culture was seeping into the church. And it's the same today, isn't it? I mean, just have a think in your mind's eye what's happening with our schools and our workplaces, how the rules have changed about what is and isn't okay, all in the name of freedom and rights. Some churches have even gone down this path, changing what they allow based on what's happening in our culture. And so, when, God, when God's word tells us to submit, to sacrifice our freedoms, all for the sake of godliness, uh, we tend to resist, don't we? I mean, I know my own heart. I don't like being told what to do. I tend to squirm. But how do we overcome this? How do we overcome our knee-jerk reaction against authority? Well, it's all by God's grace. Look with me at verses 11 and 12, which is the heart of the book of Titus. It says this, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age. Uh, this whole book of Titus hangs on these verses. It's all about how God's grace trains us to live for him and with him. And that's what we'll be looking at today. We'll be looking at how we can be godly in our workplaces and in our families. So the big question today is, what does God's grace train us to do? Well, firstly, it trains us to practice godliness. That's point one, practice godliness. No matter what stage of life you're in, God has given you instructions in how to live well in your families. God created us to live his way in our homes by putting what Titus chapter 2 says into practice. You know, as I've gotten older, uh, my taste in music has changed. Uh, but I'd never imagined that I would be listening to so many children's songs at my age. A uh, truth be told, I was actually listening to Colin Buchanan for fun before my children were born, if you can believe that. 
Anyway, Colin Buchanan's a great singer-songwriter, Christian. Go check him out. He has this fantastic song called Practice Being Godly. You may have heard of it, parents, a couple hundred times. If you haven't, check it out. It'll get stuck in your head and it's good for you. It's really about what Titus is about. They're so similar. It's about the gospel and how to practice godliness. I won't sing it, but this is, this is the heart of the, past, the, the, the song. It goes, never give up, make it your reign. If you've been forgiven in Jesus' name, practice being godly. He paid the price for all our sin. His Holy Spirit dwells within. So center all you do on him, practice being godly. You see, the gospel is at the heart of being godly, to live, live in God's way. It's the gospel that rescues us from sin and death and the pain and misery that we deserve to live a new life for God and with God. And that's what these verses 11 and 12 are saying. If you've been forgiven, you can now live for Jesus, your Saviour. And just like our first Bible reading in Deuteronomy 6, uh, God gives instructions to Israelite families in how to live his way after he'd already saved them. Or as he says, as I bring you out of the land of Egypt and into the land of milk and honey, live this way. Live this way. But what does that mean for us? You know, let's get into the nitty gritties. How can this help us live God's way? Well, look at verses 2 to 6 in Titus. And as I read, I see how many instructions are about self-control. It says, older men are to be sober-minded, dignified and self-controlled, sound in faith, in love and in steadfastness. Okay, older women likewise are to be reverent in behaviour, not slanderers, not slaves to much wine, they are to teach what is good and so train young women to love their husbands and children and to be self-controlled pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, the younger, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. You see, three times in that section, self-controlled is mentioned. So it must be important. You really can't do much of any of those things that Paul lists there without a little bit of self-control. So whether you're an older gentleman or a mature woman, or a young man, or a young woman, what you need to do to practice godliness is self-control. You need to be exercising self-control. And it's going to be tough. If you've ever had to exercise self-control, exercise self-control, you'll know uh, it's hard. You usually have to do it when you want to do something that you shouldn't. That's when you have to exercise self-control. It's more than just resisting eating that entire block of chocolate or binge watching an entire season on Netflix or Stan or what have you. It's about living God's way each and every moment. It's about thinking through your actions and thoughts. Look at verse two. It's about watching what you say and what you drink. That's in verse three. It's about looking after your family, verses four and five. You see, you get the picture. It's all encom encompassing and it takes energy. It takes some sacrifice, it takes self-control, and it won't be fun at times. And it's countercultural to say this, but we need to hear it. And we hear it straight here in God's word. Our culture says that if anyone gets in your way, 
then they mustn't be worth it. You know, you, they've, they've got to be uh, avoided if you can, um, because they're in the way of your happiness. They're in the way of the way you want to live. But here Titus is saying, no, self-control means living God's way. And what's even more countercultural is verse 5, when it says, wives to submit to their own husbands. Now, I'm a student here, so what I'm about to say, you just take it up with Gerald, all right? How countercultural is submission? I feel like I'm going to get cancelled if I keep saying it. But anyway, two things to say about submission in this passage. Firstly, we need to understand that God isn't saying that women are to stay in abusive or dangerous situations. Manipulation and abuse is never okay. And secondly, God has created us male and female in his image. We have equal dignity, worth and value, but different roles when it comes to marriage. Men are to lovingly, sacrificially love their wives, to bless them and to build them up as Christ did the church. And the wives are to submit as the church does submit to Christ because it's, it's a good way of maintaining unity and peace, not stepping over each other, not tiptoeing around each other, not constantly fighting. It's God's beautiful design for marriage. And so we've got to heed his warning here, his instruction. There's a lot more to say on the subject, so if you'd like to know more, Gerald's up the back there. Um, no, you can also talk to me, of course. But the point is, the point is godliness takes self-control and it takes sacrifice. That's what we're getting here. Both men and women have to exercise self-control and sacrifice. And God gives us the reason for this, doesn't he, in verse 5. Do you see it there? It's so that the word of God may not be reviled, literally blasphemed. So... If you want to know how to uh, defame and undermine and blaspheme God's word, oh, it's pretty simple. Just do the opposite of verses 2 to 6. Our society champions the individual. It's all about you and what you want. No, no, no. It's about what God wants. He is in charge. What happens when you have a society, when you have people doing whatever they want, when they want, looking out for themselves and not for others, what happens when this happens in our families? Well, you don't need me to tell you. You just look at the sitcoms that we have as comedies. The families are, you know, they're, they're a wreck. They're dysfunctional. There's constant arguing. It's a mess. And perhaps you've even seen it in your own lives. It's unfortunate and it's hard. It's sad. But here God tells us, self-control, sacrifice. This is the godly way to practice godliness in our families. Will it be easy? No, of course not. Living in sin is easy. Doing what you want is easy. Practicing godliness is tough. As soon as you try to implement it, you will cop resistance from the world, from your own bodies, from the devil, It'll make, it, it'll make living God's way quite hard, quite challenging. You'll need support. So what do you do in those moments? You need to lean on God. You need to pray. You need to seek his help in his word. You need to pray for the Holy Spirit to give you the power to live a different way. And you need to rely on your brothers and sisters here. We are the extended family of God. So we can help each other out. Look to your mentors. Look to your pastors, your elders. 
So we've seen how God wants us to practice godliness in our homes, uh, but he doesn't stop there here in Titus chapter 2. Uh, God's grace actually trains us to model godliness in our workplace. Uh, this is uh, verses uh, uh, 6 onwards, I believe. Uh, yes, from verse yeah, 7, sorry. Correct, you're paying attention. So point two, we're to model godliness. Uh, we're always on display to a watching world, particularly at work. Uh, we spend most of our lives at work. Uh, so how we behave actually says something about who is in charge, who we serve. And therefore we must model godliness all the time. Uh, those of us who have the privilege of being parents know that we are on display, aren't we, to our kids all the time. Uh, they're little sponges, aren't they? They're little copycats. You know, I hear Lydia sometimes say, dang it. And then I say, dang it. And then we go round and round. But you see, we're always on display. We're modelling something. We're modelling who is in charge. And the same goes for how we behave at work. Not in the same you know, way as our children watch us, uh, but people are watching us, aren't they? They're watching us to see what, who are we and what are we on about? Who is this God that we say we follow and what's he like? Um, of course, some are there watching, to, watching for us to stumble so they can make fun or, or worse. But some are genuine, genuinely curious. We don't know when and where the Holy Spirit works, but he does. And so we need to model godliness, model what it means to live a new way under God. And that's what Paul uh, says to Titus here, the leader of the church, to model good works. It's there in verse 7. Our good works are the outworking of godliness. But you'll notice the repeated idea in verses 7 to 10 is that believers should be doing this all the time. Look at verse 7 again. It says, In all respects, be a model of good works. And again in verse 9, bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. And bond servants or slaves are just the standard working people in Titus's day. So don't let that slip you up. I'm not going to get into slavery. Uh, that's a discussion for another time. I don't want to get cancelled too quickly. So let's uh, move on to verse 10. It says, in verse 10, it says, in everything they may adorn the word of God. So you get the picture. All the time, in all respects, in everything, model godliness. And we get another reason why in verse 10. So that the word, the doctrine of God, literally the teaching of God, may be adorned. That is, you want God's standard, God's way of living to, to be appealing, not obnoxious, not a stumbling block, because it isn't. Yes, God's grace saves us, but it also trains us in how we're to live as well. In our culture, living God's way can be... Uh, it can bring conflict, of course, uh, but we're to, we're to live in such a way that makes God's word attractive, enticing, appealing. That's what the word adorn means there. 
So when you go to work tomorrow, if you're a student and you go to study or whatever you do, you need to be living in such a way that models what it means to be a, a person made new, empowered by the Spirit. And look at verses 7 to 10 and try and find yourself in these verses. It says, we're to be men and women of integrity at work. We're to be watching what we say, including our tone. That's in verse 8. We're to be submissive to those who are in charge without arguing, verse 9. And we're to do so, we're to work by not stealing. This is what it means to model godliness in our workplaces. But you may be wondering, that's good, but how does God's grace help us do this? How does it really help us to change and to live a new way? Well, we see that in verses 11 to 13, as, we men- as I mentioned earlier. We're to see that we are awaiting the second appearance of Jesus. He's coming back in the future. And that's to dictate how we're to live our lives now. There's many views on why we go to work. Uh, Some people believe that we go to work uh, simply to gain money, that it's a means to an end. Some people go to work to climb the corporate ladder to get experiences or to um, enjoy life now. But the real good life, we're told, is yet to come. The better life, the life of bliss, the life free from pain, sickness and death, is yet to come for believers. And this should change the way that we work. We don't work to make our name a name for ourselves. We don't work for all the money in the world or for experiences. We work because we've been redeemed, we've been saved, and now we get to live out, out of God's grace, empowered by the Spirit. But what happens when we fail? I know, I'm not perfect. You might be surprised to know that I'm not perfect, but I'm not perfect. I've made several mistakes relatively recently. What happens when we fail at work, when people see us stumble and fall? Well, we own it, don't we? We own it, we say sorry, we make amends, and we repent and live a new way. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sin, God is faithful and just. He'll forgive us our sins and purify us. We're to rectify the situation, and this adorns the word of God. This makes God's name great, because we do it not for ourselves, not for to save our own face, but to make him known. And um, yes, that's why we do it. So how are you going? A personal question. How are you going at modelling godliness at work? How's your language? How's your attitude? When I used to work at a civil engineering company, I didn't like mornings. And so I would get there quite grumpy. And this said a lot about my character at the time. Of course, coffee helps, but it really was a heart problem. I didn't really see the value in going to work just to pay the bills. My mindset was wrong. I need to repent of that and I need to move forward. And this passage helps me do that. It helps me be motivated by grace. I go not for myself. I work not for myself. I work for God. And of course I stumble, I'm a sinner being made new. But what, how are you going? Do you submit to leadership well at work? Or do you argue or grumble? How's your thoughts? Christians should be the best workers because we've been given the best hope. We've been given so much grace. 
the ability to serve God in so many ways. We are thoroughly blessed. He has saved us. We don't need to dread and fear when we get up and go to work because we have a good God who is sovereign and who loves us. And so we work not for greed, not for pleasure, not for pride, but for God. That's how God's grace changes us. It helps us grow and model godliness at work. But it also trains us to prioritise godliness. And this leads us to our third point, where to prioritise godliness above all. Uh, pursuing godliness starts with God's grace, but it also reshapes the way that we prioritise, set our priorities. Again, we see the pattern of godliness uh, in these verses from verses 11 to 14, where to turn towards God and away from worldly passions and desires. You see that there in verse 12. We're no longer to, we no longer need to live on the run from God because he has saved and redeemed us. I don't know if you watch movies. I've watched a lot of movies. Um, have you ever seen in those movies where there's a prisoner on the run from the authorities? They're on the run from the police. What do they do? They run full pelt away from authorities. They're hiding, they're sweating, the adrenaline's up, they're panting. They will do whatever they can to not get caught. Now, this is the picture of us before God saves us, before he's given us his grace. But now that we've received grace, the picture is totally reversed. We're to run towards God with that same zeal, the same frantic zeal as the escaped prisoner or whatever. We're to run towards God with that zeal by doing good works. The, the word redeemed there in verse 14 is that language of buying, uh, paying for a debt to possess something. You see, we don't belong to ourselves. The Bible says it again and again. You and I, if we're redeemed and saved by God's grace, we don't belong to ourselves. We belong to God. We are his possession. And so what does this look like in our everyday life? What does it mean to prioritise godliness? Well, as it says in the passage in verse 11 uh, to 14, we're to renounce worldly and godless passions, we're to contemplate uh, to live for God because of what he has done for us, and we're to pursue him with zeal and extreme passion. So another personal question, don't answer out loud, but how are you going at pursuing God with that same passion? What things in your life do you need to renounce and say no to? Would you consider yourself a person who is zealous, passionate for good works? It really is about reorientating ourselves towards God daily. My tendency is to veer off. I veer off. I go, yes, yes, yes. And as soon as I walk out that door, oh, I've gone already. It's constant, constant. Got to pray. And we're motivated by that gospel, by the gospel of grace, which is the similar motivation for the Israelites who have been saved by grace from slavery in Egypt. They were slaves set free to live in a prosperous land. And that's you and I. That's you and I. We've been set free to live a new way. We're to worship God alone. 
Uh, this can be tricky, and there's a couple of uh, dangers that we might fall into. For example, if you primarily want your family to be well-behaved, and then you pick up Titus chapter 2, and you try and do that, then what you're really doing is you're worshipping your family. Or if your primary aim is to get ahead at work, or to get more money, or to get respect from your boss, then what you're really worshipping is your job, or the status, or the respect that comes from it. You're not really worshipping God. However, if you're completely reliant on God's grace, and you're living for him, with him, then you are in true worship there. You're serving God his way, by his spirit. Do you see the difference the gospel makes, the gospel of grace makes? It takes our family and our work and ourselves off the throne of our hearts and puts God rightly there where he belongs. Otherwise, when you or I or your family or your work let you down, what happens? You'll get frustrated, you'll get depressed, you'll get angry. You'll do whatever it takes to get it back to the way things were. If it's your family, you'll burden them with unrealistic expectations, doing things you probably don't even do yourself, rather than humbly relying on God and his grace to help you practice godliness and self-control first. If it's your job, uh, you'll expect your, your efforts to be rewarded. You'll expect your extra hours, whatever it is, to make you go up and up, uh, rather than modelling godliness at work uh, so that God's teaching may be appealing to others. Uh, this is how the gospel of grace should shape us, should change us, should train us to live for God. So in your families, practice godliness. In your work, model godliness and in all of life, prioritise godliness because God gets the glory when you do it for him, not you. Now let's ask God to help us do this motivated by his gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we humbly ask that you would equip us in light of your gospel of grace. Help us to prioritise, practice and model godliness in our homes, in our workplaces and even our whole lives. Help us turn away from worldly passions and to pursue good works with a zeal that would make you proud. May we leave here today emboldened to live as your redeemed people wherever you have placed us. Keep us from merely listening to your word today by not doing what it says. This we ask that the whole world may know your name. May your holy will be done in all these things. For we ask it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.